You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. There's a place here at the table. Your coats go by the door. You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor. I hope you wore elastic because your waistband's going to get tight. Take time's done. We're having a night. Hey, guys. It's Ari. And Sophie. And you're listening to Having a Night. Reviving the lost art of the dinner party. The art is coming back because we're vaccinated. I'm seeing vaccinated people indoors. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid to say it out loud. It feels like a rebirth. I'm so happy. What about you? No. Yeah. I mean, eating indoors together is like the new doing drugs. (laughs) Is the new cocaine. (laughs) I'm super excited. Although it'll be really interesting to kind of track the weird kind of PTSD and like judgment that we all have totally now of, of each other and strangers because of, of what this, you know, storm has done to all of us. I actually did eat indoors in one restaurant that for some reason was still freaking me out. But I think now that I'm like, you know, more than two weeks out, yeah, I think it's just like needing to get over a lot of those fears and just accept like we are actually vaccinated. Like that is a scientific thing. We did it. Wow. God, thank you, science. Thank you, science. I know it's true. It's so, so profoundly amazing how quickly they did that. It's it's amazing. I, w- I just want to just say for one second, because I know you can relate. I also went out to eat inside recently and I thought it, I was a little freaked out, but I was more kind of overwhelmed or underwhelmed by, you know, for safety precautions, it was the place I went to, I think 50% capacity, maybe 30%. So it seemed so empty. And it's like automatically all of your associations from pre-COVID times of being in an empty restaurant, like this restaurant is bad. This restaurant is not fun. Should I be eating here? Those are just, it's like immediate. It's like um, Pavlovian. Right. You know, (laughs) so trying to remind myself like, no, 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 it's because of COVID. It's not like, oh, this isn't fun. This isn't good. This isn't going to be good. Why is no one here? And I imagine it's the same thing, um, you know, when theaters come back, especially with theaters, because the audience, you know, the the energy of the audience, and I'm not even saying from a performer's point of view, I I mean, that's obvious, like feeding off of it, but just sitting in an audience, like kind of far away from other audience members. Yeah. That's, that ain't fun. No, you're well, but also particularly from the performer's perspective or right from the audience perspective of like the roar of the crowd does Mm -hmm. something to your, your experience of to the communal experience. Yeah. So like having such a watered down version, of course, will change it. But I also feel like people are going to be so excited to be theater nerds and people who really love the theater are going to be so excited to be back in the theater that I feel like even if it's 30 percent, it'll still be I'm going to be crying nonstop weeping, especially if it's a musical. Exactly. Oh, my God. I love musicals. Yes. Um, What did you 
eat this week? You're in Chicago. Oh, what an interesting question. Lots of cooking has been happening, which is great. You know, I'm sure you have this uh, up in Millbrook or at your parents. Like whenever I'm here, even if I'm cooking something I've cooked a million times and I'm getting the ingredients from like Whole Foods where it's the same as the Whole Foods, you know, somewhere else in the country, it tastes better cooking in this kitchen. Oh, I know. You know what I mean? I'm like, what do they do to the water? I said, isn't that so sweet? I think it is really just like a, there's something about family, about parents. If you have a good relationship with your parents, obviously I understand many people's relationship with their families would not make the food taste better, but it's so true. I'm like, everything here just tastes like childhood, I guess. Well, how about this? My parents are here today. We are, uh, we're making veal tortellini tonight. I'm assuming that you're not grinding the veal yourself. You got ground veal a mixture of veal and like, there's maybe some mortadella in there and Parmesan. Wait, just really quickly. So you're doing the, the regular tortellini shape, not a tortellacci. Yes. And are you going to do it like with sage and brown butter or what's the thought? (sighs) That's great questions today. Um, I, we're going to do it in broth. Yum. Oh my gosh. It's very rainy and cold here. Mm. Unfortunately. I, okay. So speaking of dinner parties, I went to basically a dinner party on Saturday at, uh, our friend, Claire Olshins. She has been on the podcast oh. episode. Please listen to it about Dada yeah. daily, which is her fantastic, delicious snack company. Well, and it's also about what an insane tablescaper she is. So oh. how did the table look? The whole thing was very, very gorgeous. And the food was so freaking good. But what I want to talk about is it's not quite hundred percent asparagus season yet, but I had a smoked asparagus. It was like smoked and grilled. And it was so good because it was like the asparagus flavor melded with this much more robust flavor. I mean, of course, part of what's so beautiful about asparagus is like, it is very delicate, but this was just like, it just, it was packed of flavor punch. What do you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Guy Fieri. People use exactly. Donkey sauce. (laughs) Took Mm -hmm. me to flavor town. Very good. And there was, it was also served next to a sous vide egg yolk, just the yolk. And it was fabulous. The egg yolk, I believe he had sous vide it. And then like, you know, when you open crack open a sous vide egg, you can separate the white from the yolk really easily, which I was like, wait, I should start doing this because the texture, the consistency was very beautiful. Yeah. Really delicious. So that's what I had this week. I want to know what you wore, but we maybe we should get to our guest. We should get to our guest. Oh my God. I wish we could just hang with our guest that we have on today. Oh my God. I don't know. I wonder if he would want to hang with us. That would be such an honor. I mean, guys, this week we have on the incredible Sheldon Simeon, who you may recognize as a top chef contestant on two different seasons. He won fan favorite both times. And I believe was eliminated in the finale both times. Like, don't give like, it away. But people know this. Oh, I guess. Yeah. People know this. He's a, a chef restaurateur from Hawaii, um, but he is, I think, 100% Filipino. He is just, like, truly such a talented chef and and just fun-loving, chill, personable human being. He, I think, brought such a smile to both Ari's and my face for the entire interview, and he has a new cookbook out called Cook Real Hawaii, and it's just so wonderful to see someone paying so much reverence to food that I grew up eating a lot of because I have spent a lot of time in Hawaii, but I think food that, as he says in this interview, and as he sort of writes in the book, like 
when he first got on Top Chef, he felt like he couldn't cook that kind of food because it wasn't quote unquote serious food. And so now it's so exciting to be at a point in our world in which like this, in which we can all discover and admit that like, this is totally serious food. And also what does serious food even mean? But it's a wonderful book. Wonderful, wonderful book. Very inspiring. So much fun to read. I feel like I want to cook so much stuff from it. And also you can cook a lot of the, the recipes in it, even if you're on the mainland, like you don't have to be in Hawaii to be able to cook these recipes. He has a lot of yeah. substitutions or yes. ways that you it's, can get some of the ingredients. So and it's super comprehensive, not only in like, Hey, here's the best way I think to chop scallions, but also where to source ingredients. What are the substitutes? Plus the history of Hawaii and and his own family's history. I also think, you know, there's this, and he he addresses this in the book, but you know, there's this fucked up idea of like, oh yeah, Hawaii is all about like spam and mayonnaise. And it is true that Hawaii is the number one consumer of spam and also mayonnaise in the country, but there's so much more to it. And like, if you think about the things that are growing there and the way that the, the fish is there, and I mean, it's just it's so much deeper than I think, than what we think about when we just think about the surface of it. Am I making any sense or should we just get Sheldon on here to talk about it? Girl, you are. And let's get Sheldon on. So without further ado, we've got top chef Sheldon Simeon on the show. Yay. Here we are with the incredible Sheldon Simeon calling from Maui. So jealous. Always away. (laughs) Yeah. I get that a lot on uh, on these phone calls. Oh uh, yeah, I'm sure. It's probably very tiresome by this point. You're like, yeah, I live in Hawaii. Get the fuck over it. <laughs> it's like yeah. I imagine if you know some people who are super tall and they're always like, the first thing anyone ever says to me is, "What's it like being so tall?" Imagine <laughs> like being from Hawaii. It's like, yes, the weather's always nice here. Let's move on. Yeah. Yes. There are rain. There are rainbows every day, and uh, you can hear whales jumping in the background. It's all true, people. It is. The rumors are true. <laughs> Hawaii is paradise. <laughs> I do miss. I do miss New York City, though. You know, for a while, I was there practically every month. Go eat pizza. Go eat bagels. Stuff yeah. that in Hawaii. I mean, there's there's good stuff out here, but it ain't nothing like it. Just simple things like that. I miss. Totally. Well, I feel like in a funny way. The things that taste amazing on the mainland taste terrible in Hawaii. (laughs) Amazing in Hawaii tastes terrible on the mainland. Agreed. Agreed. We have so many questions for you and we're just like so moved by your cookbook. I think it's so, it's so incredible to read something that not only obviously covers the, the food, but also just this idea of like of Hawaiian food as the ultimate Mm -hmm. fusion. It just feels like in this time where there's so much, you know, people getting in trouble for cultural appropriation and all this cancel culture Mm -hmm. to inform your readers about where everything is coming from just makes everyone feel so much more connected to what we cook and what we eat. And it's just, and it's also so important just for our our knowledge. So thank you so much for including all of that. Oh, mahalo. Mahalo. Thank you for those kind words. You know, one of the things of, we work, you know, three years on this book. And then at the end, it's like, what are we going to call it? And the publishers are like, let's say cook real Hawaii. I was like, wait, real is a <laughs> kind of strong word to put, yeah. be putting it out there. Yeah. But, you know, as I, 
I guess they, as they read through the stories and, you know, what we shared about like all these different parts of history, you know, that, that word real became uh, the perfect describer of the book. And we put our hearts into it. And, you know, it, it was a moment that we could shed light of, of the history and the, the uniqueness of Hawaii cuisine. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're so excited for it. I'm, I, I'm ecstatic by the response by everyone. Well, I was, I mean, I was just curious about in your, in your book, you do talk about your experience on Top Chef and how you had started out your experience there, really cooking the kind of food that you thought you were supposed to be cooking, as opposed Mm -hmm. to the food that you grew up with, the food that you actually enjoy cooking. And so what kind of stuff did you feel like you were making when you were on Top Chef and you were trying to be that kind of chef? And then was the change overnight? Was it like Top Chef ended and you were like, wow, I don't want to do that anymore. Like, how did it pan out? Yeah, well, luckily for me, I'm saying lucky, but but I'm still scarred from it. I've done two seasons of Top Chef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think a lot of my my friends and colleagues who who've gone through the process would tell you describe it in the same way. You're you're definitely scarred by it in a positive and <laughs> weird negative way. But um, the first time around, right? Like uh, I was on Top Chef, and I was intimidated intimidated by everyone else on there these people has been cooking in paris and new york city and even as a chef out here in hawaii i look at these these places these big cities of how can a chef from hawaii or the cuisine that i grew up with stand up next to to the cuisine across the world and and it was always me coming up and mimicking trying to kind of massage the food that we have in Hawaii to look like the food that you'd see in the cities. And the first time I went on Top Chef, you know, that did well. It, it would get you by, but when the, that moment where, where food needs to connect and uh, where it really matters, you know, that's where I fell short. And it was a huge learning lesson coming off of that first season of cook what is real to you. And, you know, just what kind of chef do you want to become? And the, the chef that I wanted to become was the food that I grew up with cooking and be proud about that and be proud about the food that I put on the plate. That was that was the, the light switch when uh, when I got to the finale of the first season and I got eliminated for doing food that wasn't even uh, from my heart. And uh, I went back and I really thought about it and uh, started to to do the foods of my grandparents and do the food of my neighbors and my community. And uh, I see how it started to resonate with everyone. And a lot of the times uh, the food, I could share a story to it. And this storytelling of it all uh, became a part of how I cook. Uh, So when I went back on the second season of Top Chef, you know, that's what I did from start to finish was just like cook my heart out and be proud about the food that we have in Hawaii. A lot of times everybody has this small little piece of what Hawaii cuisine is. And here I get to pull from all these different corners of the world and it's still, still Hawaii. So that's the chef I am today is like continuing to tell these stories of the the food of Hawaii. I I spend a lot of time in Hawaii because my mom is from Oahu. And I feel like, you know, when chefs are trying to, take Hawaiian ingredients, but make them right. That very like French or Western mm. European, the simple preparation is always so much better. Cause it's also like, of course, just a piece of perfect grilled fish. 
that somebody got that morning is always going to taste better than that piece of grilled fish with like a raspberry coulis on top or whatever. <laughs> coulis. You know? When was the last time someone made a coulis? <laughs> 2002. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going I'm to do a special at the restaurant with coulis and a taggy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Of like how many simple uh, preparations that, that we have out here and we have an abundance of, of ingredients to choose from where we had, we had a host culture, which was, up to, which is the most amazing thing to me. That was nearly perfect in my eyes. You know, we had the, the Kanakas, the, the Hawaiians that year that were so connected to it, their environment and the land. And they, they respected it so much that when it came to the end product, it was perfect. You know, like getting the perfect salt or, or treating it with so much care that, uh, it was undeniably delicious. And mm. to have a host culture that sets the tone for everyone who who came and made Hawaii their home, uh, we're very blessed. And that's all we're trying to continue to do as residents and the people who live here in Hawaii is continue that, that energy and that feeling that was set by, by the Hawaiians. I wanted to ask actually about that. Like, has there been more of a move from chefs to go to like rediscover indigenous recipes? I mean, I feel like there are a, a lot, a lot of the indigenous ways of cooking are still around, right? Like emu and like, I feel mm -hmm. like there are a lot of preparations that are traditional, but is there a movement of certain chefs being like, okay, we're going to really try to rediscover the way that our ancestors cooked before the influx of all these other ingredients? Yeah, I, uh, def definitely is. Uh, a guy is like uh, Chef Mark Noguchi and Ed Kenny and uh, uh, Daniel Anthony. Uh, these guys are going back and getting the heirloom produce and heirloom uh, plants and, and rediscovering mm -hmm. it and then just applying it uh, to, to everyday life and really, really living that, that way that the Hawaiians did. In a modern world, though, uh, for me, uh, like when it comes to Hawaii cuisine, I, I'm so lucky because uh, people are already asking, it's like, when's the next cookbook coming out? And I was like, wait, pump your brakes. <laughs> that's, that's a little bit uh, overwhelming to even think about that. But there are, there's all these different uh, avenues that you could take. You could take the indigenous cooking of the Hawaiians, and then you could right. take all of the, the, the cuisines of the Japanese. You could just take Okay, Japanese in Hawaii, Filipinos well, yeah. in Hawaii, and, and Portuguese in Hawaii, Puerto Ricans in Hawaii, Koreans in Hawaii, and make a, a full cookbook by, by itself. Yeah. Uh, I'm just so blessed to be a, a chef from Hawaii that, that gets to showcase that all the time. I'm so lucky that I get to share that with my kids, you know, who knew in this next few decades that a lot of those items and those traditions might have been lost. I have a small little, you know, some stories about simply as my adobo recipe in, in my cookbook where uh, my dad didn't learn the adobo recipe from, from my grandmother. And he was like super like sad about that. I was able to go to the Philippines and kind of discover this way to this recipe. And when I fed it to him, his eyes lit up and I seen that he, that he's like, okay, this is the way that our family used to make it. So it came yeah. full circle. And for me, that's, that's a special thing when we can harness these traditions and pass it on and continue on. It's, it's what I, I live for as a chef. 
I wanted to ask you just as, you know, in terms of you as a chef and now, you know, as a celebrity (laughs) chef and restaurateur and restaurant owner, when we think of people who like, I'm going to use an example, like a Bobby Flay, we feel like, oh, we can recognize (laughs) any of Bobby Flay's restaurants. I'm well, once he like opened that Spanish place that then closed, but like, we know it's going to taste like there's going to be a mango salsa and it's going to be like kind of barbecue ish. Since you have dabbled in so many, you cook so many different types of food. Like how would we recognize a, a Sheldon Sim? Like what is your signature? What would you say is the thread that weaves kind of all of your, your restaurants and your cuisines together just because you, mm. you do so much, it seems like. Yeah. Shout out to Chef Bobby Flay, though. We had a, a fun battle uh, not too yeah. long ago. <laughs> you guys can check it out if you want to check it out. On his show? Uh, on his, yeah, Beat Bobby Flay. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. I'm going to watch that. For the record, we love Bobby Flay. We love Bobby Flay. Same here, man, Chef. Bro. Love you, man. Me too. But you know what I mean, though? That like Weird. he's no, a bra- he created a brand. That's, that's yeah, his, that's his that's his that's his lane. My lane is ultimately my life experiences through the lens of Hawaii. You know, like I love going traveling with my dad, which is not that often now, but I love it that. It's it's not even it's not even a looking glass for him. It's it's practically like blinders because he's cut him open. He bleeds Hawaii, you know, eight oh eight. That's that's his whole thing is like that. But the way that whenever he eats something or he looks at something, it's always described like, oh, that's kind of like the banana that that grandpa used to grow in the backyard, or oh, that's kind of like the fish that we used to go catch down Kauai High, and uh, it's the way that my restaurants are. It, it's it's a looking glass through the experiences of Hawaii. Uh, that's the common thread of it. It's usually based in community uh, because they are the ones who support the restaurant. Uh, that's the circle. The ideas of the Hawaiians that you take care of the land and the land will take care of you. Whenever I make the restaurants, it's always going out to the community and how can I support everyone out there because that's going to make my restaurant uh, successful. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the thread of it. It's uh, I'm I'm cooking food for my community, and if anyone who comes and visits get to uh, gets to enjoy it, they they have a piece of of real Hawaii. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Speaking of real Hawaii, poopoos is just you know poopoos are the best ever, and I love that you have a whole section that's about <laughs> heavy poopoos. So <laughs> so good, so good. Also, because it's like poopoos is so much more fun to say than appetizers or hors d'oeuvres, but like it just really sums it just sums it up. So, would you break down for our listeners what a poopoo is, but also what are like your top three ride or die poopoos? All right, <laughs> poopoos. So poopoos is is appetizers, but it's even a lot more than that. It's it's almost practically a meal, you know, in in the idea of you know, Spanish tapas or, or mm-hmm. uh, izakaya. Again, we get to pull from those different cultures. It's totally. basically when you go to someone's house or you go to entertaining or a party, there's going to be food. If there's no food, you're doing something wrong in Hawaii. Like that's, if we're getting together, even if you have to open up a bag of chips with some uh, something that that's going to be the poo But in my general description of poo is, is, you know, small little, uh, bites of food that you can have uh, while having a drink and having conversation. Uh, and here in Hawaii, again, we get to pull from a 
plethora of, of cultures. So poo-poo is all over the table. Poke, number one poo-poo for, for sure. Uh, some type of raw fish. Again, here's an example of me looking at the lens of Hawaii, at least the Hawaiian charcuterie platter. Mm. <laughs> you know, we get to, we, we do smoked meat. So whether it's smoked wild boar, we do dried fish, uh, like smoked marlin or dried skipjack tuna, aku. What else is on that, that charcuterie? Uh, smoked octopus. Mm. Uh, I have a yeah. very important question, which is, does a poopoo, if a poopoo requires a fork, or a knife? Is it still a poop? Like, is it a finger food only situation? Uh, <laughs> yes and no, because a lot of times poopoos becomes the entree, right? <laughs> because it, there's so much on the table that it does become a, a meal. All my kids know how to use the chopstick. You learn to use the the, the hashi at a very young age here in Hawaii. Uh, but you're picking away at all these different things, or you're making a mm-hmm. small little plate that has all of these uh, different items. Uh, poo-poo is, is a way to judge someone's, uh, someone's party. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's, yes. It's straight Ooh. up. Uh, yes. My sons, you know, I have four beautiful children with three beautiful daughters first. Uh, but then I had a son, my fourth one. So on his first birthday, first birthday party, which is a huge deal in Hawaii, you know, the, the idea behind the, the large gathering for the first birthday party was because in olden times to make it to your first birthday, that's a, that was a huge feat. Mm. Um, so we still continue that culture while your first birthday party. And we had, we had 500 guests at, at my Oh son's. my God. That's uh, that's oh my <laughs> at my son's Whoa. first birthday party. No, it, it, it ain't ice cream and cake and pinatas. That's it. It's a little bit different, but uh, just as uh just the poo line alone, we had 17 different items, you know, just, just from all everyone from, from friends and family, you know, having donating things. So imagine you show up to a party and just the poo line alone is 17 items. And then you get to the entrees, which I think I had 12 different entree stuff. It's like the perfect Top Chef challenge. It's like, okay, <laughs> hey guys, you're cooking 17 different poo-poos right, for, right. for Sheldon's yeah. one-year-old birthday party for five months. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, but then we have, again, we have all these cultures. So, you know, like everyone from their culture want to bring something, you know, like we have Portuguese sweet bread or pastele from my Puerto Rican friends. Brought, they brought pasteles and uh, my Hawaiian friends made some smoked pork for me and it just uh, all comes together. So I take entertaining pretty, pretty heavy, which I miss the most in these times. I can't wait to get back to it, to entertaining. Maybe not 500 because uh, first birthday, but uh, we'll have a few more back house. We still haven't gotten your top three poo-poos. All right. But, you know, it might be too so, hard. It might, there's so no, many. I know that there's so many. Uh, poke, though. Poke again. Is, right, right. Uh, poke, number mm-hmm. one. Keep the fish has to be, I like it simple. The poke needs to be simple. Fresh fish, maybe a little bit of salt, some seaweed and some uh, inamona, which is uh, kukui nuts. Something uh, smoked, smoked meat. Mm. Smoked meat is a generalized, uh, a lot lot of times it's wild boar, wild pig here. And then number three, I'm going to let that one simmer as we go on in this conversation. I can't that's, wait to hear that's, what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
hearing you talk about the way that you host, clearly it seems like you're very open to other people bringing things that they've made that like they want to contribute. Do you find yourself to be a control freak when you're hosting or in the kitchen at all? Or are you like totally chill and open? That's a two-way street for me. <laughs> I like, you know, the chef in me is always in me, so I like to be organized. Right. And I, I, I also overtend, like, overdoing it a lot of times. Like, we end mm-hmm. up with a lot, a lot of food than it needs to be, which is yeah. never, never a bad problem. Uh, so when it comes to that, you know, like, I want to do a lot. I, 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 can't, I can't just relax. It's like, what else can we cook? I want to cook a lot more. I want to cook a lot more. Uh, but it's so normal in Hawaii that when you're coming over someone's house, it's a potluck. You're bringing something over. And uh, I remember as a kid, like holding the pot in my lap or holding whatever we need to go with. We're going to auntie's house or we're going to a dad's friend's house. And I'm the little kid that has to carry the pan <laughs> of food in, into the house. That's what it's all about. It's all about sharing. And a lot of the times you share you save your best poo-poos to, to share when you're going over to someone's house. And uh, yeah, I love that. A real spirit of generosity that I could probably use more of in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring anything. That's what exactly. Sophie's like. That's- you, I, we will not eat what you bring into this house. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I'm really trying to let go of my control freakishness, but so far it hasn't happened. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's how it goes. Uh, it's like uh, we we share we share here in Hawaii. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I want to jump back and talk a little bit more about emus and and grilling outside. And just for all of our listeners, we we weren't talking about cooking an emu. We're talking about IMU. It's a it's a, <laughs> it's a you know a lot of people don't know. I don't I don't know what our our listenership is like in Hawaii, but we'll yeah. find out. Oh my god! But, wait, we have to give a really quick shout out to Melissa Chingoya, who is one of our like. Yeah listeners and she lives on Oahu. So hi, Melissa. This, this one's for you. Hey, Mr. Right on. (laughs) But, um, so can we just, you know, explain to all of our listeners what a traditional emu is and, and how you build and how many hours it takes, you know, what, what we would cook in it. Emu is a traditional Hawaiian, uh, underground oven, uh, where you take, uh, porous lava rocks or river, river stone, and it is heated in a hole with the woods out here is uh, kiave, you know, uh, Hawaiian mesquite wood or ohia. So it's heated until they're blazing hot red. And then it is covered with the stumps of banana, the banana trunks and a, a lot of tea leaves, which creates a steam pocket. And you put your protein down into this puka, into this hole. Uh, a lot of times it is whole pig. 
Uh, but the Hawaiians would add vegetables like sweet potatoes or bananas. And then you'd cover it up, more leaves, uh, put a canvas over it or, or just some dirt. Then you leave it. And it's as it's cooking, that lava stone is going to retain the heat. All the moisture from the banana stumps and the tea leaves are going to create this almost sous vide perfect uh, environment where everything just cooks down slowly. Anywhere from you know, eight to 12 hours. Uh, and then you unearth it, and there's this beautiful, beautifully cooked uh, piece of whatever you put in there. Uh, now, traditionally, it's uh, made for, for large gatherings. So, like first birthday parties or, mm-hmm. or high school graduation parties or weddings. Uh, again, the luau's at, at the hotels, they showcase it too. Oh my but, gosh. Uh, it's funny. Uh, I feel like Francis Malman has like gotten all of this attention for, you know, <laughs> he does like a very similar thing and it's incredibly beautiful, but it's like, yeah, he's not the only person who's ever done this. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, something about fire, you know, that was how primitive that is. That was the way that everything does. You know, that, and the Hawaiians had so many different ways of doing it. Every culture food became uh, the food cultures is is based on necessity, right? That you use what you have around you. Hawaiians have uh, lawalu, which is grilling or or wrapping something in a leaf and cooking directly on top of the coals. Uh, they had drying, of course, with the abundance of salt that is around us, fermenting and curing all of that stuff. Like, do you like cooking outside? Do you like cooking on a beach, or are you like, no, yeah. I live in Hawaii, doesn't mean I have to do that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. it as much as as I like to romanticize. Yes, I I do it at sunset every single night. Right. I am a chef. <laughs> I'm a chef owner of a restaurant, a busy busy restaurant. So you know those days are are far and few. But uh, when we do cook out on the hibachi, I like to take advantage of of that moment, and I'm grilling as much stuff I can put on that grill knowing that that's going to feed me throughout the week, you know, uh, right. leftover steak becomes steak sandwiches or stir fries, uh, you know, smoked chicken becomes uh, a roscaldo or juke, uh, or rice porridge. I'm always thinking ahead of, especially with a family of, of four kids, you know, uh, six of us in the household. Yeah. That's, that's the way I like to, I like to think, but give me a beer on the beach grilling that's me my wife is so funny like how you said don't bring nothing to the beach or don't bring nothing to a to a party if i'm Mm -hmm. down at the beach and i'm i'm attending uh, i always find like somehow end up on the grill (laughs) i'm always always the guy like oh hey that's where i'm going to that's where i'm the most comfortable yeah yeah (laughs) the vibe of your book and it seems like the vibe of your restaurants is like pretty casual and like laid back Island vibe. Do you think that like fanciness and also like we're talking about your cooking when you were on the first season of top chef versus what it's evolved into. Do you feel like fanciness also has its place in Hawaiian cooking or do you think all casual no. all the time is a better way to go? Do you like how I literally cannot even form a sentence right now? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. Take me 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the idea behind my restaurant lineage. You know, it was, it's in a fancy resort area. It's in a, a high-end mall that I literally st- uh, 
looking out my kitchen window, staring into a Louis Vuitton store. (laughs) I think if you can capture the feeling and it's, it's rawness of, of history in a dish, it can be presented well. And it can withstand the, the level of sophistication with all these other cuisines. You know, we, we're taking things and fermenting it for, for eight months before you even had a taste of it. Uh, that itself is like the sophistication behind that. We're all using Hawaiian ingredients and, and techniques. Uh, they're presented well. We use tweezers and to plate up things. Uh, but Hawaiian cuisine and Hawaii cuisine can definitely be be put on a platform and and stand uh, next to hot cuisine like like French and Japanese. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about some ingredients that we don't often get on the yeah. mainland, like taro, right. tea yeah. leaves. One big question for me is what makes tea leaves so special? And let's mm-hmm. say that we're here and like, I'm in New York, I can't get tea leaves. Would you right. suggest finding a substitution or are you like, just don't cook that recipe? My my biggest goal for this cookbook is for everyone to, to you know, be able to feel like they can, they can cook these meals. And we made... There's a lot of suggestions in the book, uh, which is which is funny because if you take it back a step, all everyone who migrated here, they were kind of in that same same uh, scenario totally. where they're trying to cook things from their homeland, they're trying to trying to reminisce and and create uh, their own culture in Hawaii, but they couldn't access the ingredients that they had back home. So it kind of the recipes kind of changed and made it. Hawaii, although it's rooted in someplace else, it, it became its own thing. And that's for me, the way that cooking is. Cooking is like you're having a moment where I want to make something. You, you use what you have in front of you. Uh, luckily, we have these amazing things here in Hawaii, but it shouldn't steal you from trying to, to recreate these recipes. Uh, tea leaves. I love that that the world is so so much smaller than you think, you know, now that there's frozen banana leaves in a lot Mm -hmm. of grocery stores. Uh, It just gives that earthiness and the greenness to when it's cooked in it. It has that that aroma that almost smells like you're going to a Hawaiian luau, uh, just Mm -hmm. having that that burning uh, uh, aroma of of leaves. Inamona kukui nuts, uh, just use macadamia nuts or something that's going to be very earthy just roast them super hard because uh, uh kukui nuts are very oily they're very earthy and they're they're very pungent uh are just trying to bring some earthiness to a dish and then a lot of a lot of the cuisine of hawaii is is asian based and the the asian uh, grocery stores has has everything that uh, that we cook I mean, it's cool in a way. It's sort of like you're saying, like you know, you can use kind of whatever you've got around. So it's sort of like putting a fusion on the ultimate yeah. cuisine. <laughs> it's like right. how any cuisine gets birthed. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. It's yeah, idea. yeah. I would love to make uh, a cookbook though that that dives into you know the indigenous things of Hawaii because there's so many cool little things and like the ama crab or the small little black mm. crabs that you find in the on the beaches and all the different variety of bananas and taro, all of that. You Are might you not know? be able to replicate it, but it can be, it could be a, a cool thing to, to educate people about. On that sort of subject. Are you yeah. on like the breadfruit train? <laughs> I've, I've been on the breadfruit train and I, uh, I love it. I love that. It's, 
it's one of the most sustainable, you know, uh, plants in the world. Uh, one tree produces 200 pounds. What, what else plants 200 pounds a year of, of edible food? It changes as it matures too. It can, can be this sweet, uh, velvety custard when it's over ripened and, and cooked super slow. Uh, when it's green, it has a hearty texture like a potato, but uh, unique. And then you can roast it and throw it into a into a fire, and it still uh, holds its its texture. Yeah, I love, love breadfruit, and I love discovering. You know, it's been eaten all over these different places, uh, especially along that equator belt. You know, in the different countries. Mm. I, what is the breadfruit? For me and the other listeners out there, <laughs> I will send you the very the the the, uh, the Latin scientific name. Uh, uh, <laughs> bread breadfruit is one of the canoe crops that the Hawaiians brought with them from uh, you know all different parts of Polynesia. It was uh, something that they cultivated, but it's uh, it's starchy uh, like a like a potato. Um, mm-hmm. But the different varieties, some have large seeds. It's a cousin to the jackfruit. Uh, I see. Plant. Yeah, it's this beautiful thing that the Hawaiians used to cook with. And it grows, I think, from what I, the limited amount of knowledge that I have about it, it grows really, really well in Hawaii. And I guess, like, for a long time, people stopped eating it. And so they stopped growing it. But it's, like, actually uh-huh. incredibly good for the earth. And as you were saying, like, it's a super sustainable crop. And it's very nourishing. So there's kind of this movement to, like, revitalize breadfruit like i missed that train that's that's, it's an important tree man yeah breadfruit train breadfruit train (laughs) (laughs) so we're talking about your new restaurant lineage and also your son's first birthday party and all these great celebrations and and the kind of hawaiian feasts that go along with them what will you do for I'm I, I'm positing that there might be a new celebration coming up in all of our futures, which is the pandemic being over. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be some people partying. What would you cook for the this event? You know, what what is like? What what's your ideal? Are you like prepping a menu in your head? Like when you can finally get back out there? I'm sure you you yeah. can't wait to like get back to work. But I mean, in terms of like a party. Yeah, well, luckily I've had uh, I've had some practice in this growing up and having these large parties, and I've been dreaming exactly. about those days, those days to come. And you know, I just want my my garage to be filled with my whole family, but I, it'll probably be based in Filipino uh, cooking, just because mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things that that it takes a few days to to get it all going, and then. Everything needs to be cooked down slowly, and there's just something about it when when it all comes together. I'm starting off with uh, there's gonna have a lot of drinks. My favorite drink is Paloma at the moment. And, uh, have a good recipe for it in the book, right? Yeah, we and there's just something about tequila that uh, livens up the party. <laughs> so true. Oh, agree. So yeah, true. yeah. We call these patio pounders. Uh, you can just like it'll it'll get to you. Sit in the back of the patio and you're done after you have yes. a few of it. But it, <laughs> it's it's super fun. But um poo-poo's automatically on the table. So there's there'll be you know two or three different types of poke. There'll already be some cured meats on top of there. 
Uh, then we go Filipino route. Uh, well, there'll be pancit noodles because we're celebrating uh, Asian culture. is huge on, on noodles. You know, there always needs to be a, be a big old wok filled with pancit noodles, uh, Filipino mm. Chinese stir-fried noodles. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd love to make my family's uh, porquisantes uh, dish, which is a uh, tomato uh, stewed pork that's cooked down very slowly and like an adobo vinegary. Uh, sauce and then finished off with green peas in the back because after uh, a night of drinking and celebrating uh, especially with the boys uh, there'll be like a pot of la uya which is like a big uh, beef shank or pork shank uh, uh, soup that is with with just cabbage and potatoes there's something about meat cabbage and potatoes in in a soup Uh, it's that's something that's going to uh, pick you right back up. So after a night of drinking a big old pot of la uya, uh, with yeah. a lot of chi- with a lot of chili vinegar and rice, uh, there's been nights of sitting in my garage. Like I had friends growing up in high school uh, that would we come over, and even after college, uh, they know to come over to our house because there's always something at on the stove, and uh, just nights of us just like are holding our bows <laughs> just slopped over in our, in the garage on my dad's house on my parents house and uh, so good this is a photo taken at my dad's house but this is a this was a typical weekend uh that would yeah. always be at my dad's house it's like a huge spread of food down in the middle of the table all my cousins and aunts and uncles and friends all hanging out at the house uh, that's what we do. That's to our it. listeners who can't see this, although maybe we'll post a photo, like a photo of the yeah. for Instagram, but it's like the table is 22 feet long. Yeah. <laughs> you can't photo, see the table because there's, there's so like much 75 food on it. dishes. I mean, that is, that's <laughs> epic to do that every weekend. Well, yeah, then you got to allow a potluck because you have to let people, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows what to do, and when it comes to clean up or setting up and all that, everyone just just does it. So so great. We're so special, awesome. so lucky to have that that culture. You're from the Big Island, and you now live on Maui. And obviously, I assume you've spent time on all the islands. But yeah. do you feel like there are certain foods that certain islands do really well? Like when we talk about Hawaiian cuisine, especially mm-hmm. if we're not in Hawaii, it feels very like. Oh, Hawaiian cuisine, even though there's so many different arms, it's all the same yeah. islands, but that can't be true. So like, what are, do you notice differences? Yeah, there are differences, uh, you know, like the way the flavor profile are, is in, on the different I- islands. So one in mm-hmm. particular is a luau, a luau stew, which when I moved to, Hawa- uh, to Maui, they tend to be a lot more sweeter, this taro, uh, taro leaf uh, stew. And the, the coconut milk uh, was less, but it was a lot sweeter than when I grew, how to do it on the Big Island where it's a lot more savory. So there are those nuances. Uh, right. And then just because of the demographic, like oh, Honolulu is a restaurant scene. And so like a lot of the food culture of, of the restaurants are, are, are viewed in, in, in Honolulu. You know, those mm. old school diners that has been there for for a hundred years and uh, Kauai and the outer islands tend to have uh, a lot more focus on the fishing and the hunting uh, just because in the rural areas that they are, uh, it's still uh, a large part of their, their lifestyle out there. Uh, but uh, 
we're all all weaved in this interweb of, of Hawaii for sure. Yeah. Where are your favorite places to eat on Oahu? Because I'm going to be there in like oh. a month and I'm so excited. One of my favorites is uh, Helena's. Helena's is an old school Hawaii uh, diner mm-hmm. serving traditional Hawaiian food. So you're going to get oh. um, kalua pig and you're going to you're going to get poke and you're going to get poi. But my favorite thing is pipi kaula. And their way that their style is when you walk into the restaurant, they're dry curing it over the grill and it's hung up in the hoods, uh, short ribs that is just drying like lines of them. And they're slowly, slowly glistening and and dripping. And then right before they serve it, they they fry it up. uh, So it's nice and crispy, but, tender juicy on the inside and you oh eat that God. just just simply with uh with some raw onions and 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 some pakai some some sea salt and it's to die for but uh, you don't even helena's, need any more recommendations done helena's pipicala <laughs> wow that's there incredible. it is <laughs> that's it you touched on briefly before which was like you know we were talking about how things just taste different in hawaii and yeah. I'm just interested in like, do you think that that is, of course, you know, the ocean there is beautiful and the land is wonderful, but do you think a part of that is also the reverence with which people treat the ingredients compared to maybe how some people treat ingredients on the mainland or like, what do you think contributes to that? That ultimate respect that we have for, for food here in Hawaii. We, mm-hmm. we know that being out here in, in the middle of, of the ocean, you know, being the most secluded landmass in the world, that for food we have here in on the islands, we have to take care of it. You know, it's kind of weird that we do import so much food, but if all of that stopped, you know, the food that the food that we have here is is so precious to to feed our our islands. So we treat our resources with care. We understand that how important our resources are from and how, how it is. And that's, that's that idea has continued on uh, from, from the Hawaiians. And it's, it is the, the song that we sing here. Take care of your land and the land will take care of you. You know, I'm going there really soon. Yeah, I'm so jealous. I need to get more recommendations from him. Yeah, you do. And you need to find him. I know. Get yourself invited to like a, a 500 person a uh, birthday party for a one-year-old. That's what Seriously. you really got to do. But yeah. he's on Maui. I'm not going to Maui. Well, maybe you should change your plans. I'm getting maui Oh, my God. You know what? We forgot to ask him the chip question, but he, well, the last item on his poo-poo platter would be yes. the fried fish, which is like, yeah, the chip of the sea. Exactly. Yes, the chip <laughs> of the sea. Chip of the sea. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, we just had so much fun talking to him. Just a beam of sunlight. Thank you so much, Sheldon, for coming on and for your book, which we both love so much. And to our listeners, we'll see you next week. See you next week. We'll be on for Chip Hour next week. We love you. And we don't say this often enough because we try and be cool about it, but fuck it. Everyone says this. Please rate and review the show if you love it and you listen to it. It really actually does help us get more listeners because it changes the algorithm. And Uh, It's just a little ask and you don't have to tell anyone. You don't have to post on Facebook. You don't have to at us. Just, you know, give five stars, five stars. I'm like, hey, I love this podcast. It will, it would really, really help us. And we appreciate it. 
Thank you for That's saying that, that Ari. I totally <laughs> agree. Uh, thank you, Colin. And we'll see everybody next week. Bye.